Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. So this is Jack Spillane. I'm the editorial page editor at the Standard Times, and I'm here with the editorial board and members of the South Coast Legislative Delegation, and we're here to talk about... uh, the funding formula for uh, education in Massachusetts, which uh, they're going to take another crack at reforming this year. So as we usually start, people are free to make statements and, and open it up, and then we'll ask questions as, as we go along. So welcome, all. Uh, introductions. Uh, so I'm Beth we'll Perdue, editor of the Standard Times. And Carol Paiola, uh, representing a part of Fall River and Freetown. Tony Cabral, representing New Bedford. Norman Oil, representing Berkeley, Lakeville, part of Taunton, and part of Middleborough. Uh, Paul Schmidt, 8th Bristol District, uh, representing Westport and parts of uh, Fall River, Freetown, and New Bedford. Chris Hendricks, 11th Bristol District, which includes the majority of the north end of New Bedford and a Cushing. Lisa, Lisa Stratton, General Manager of South Coast Media and VP um, of News for Data. Uh, Peter Muse, President and CEO of First Citizens Federal Credit Union and a member of the Editorial Advisory Council. I'm Amy Chevaroli, I'm the Education Reporter. So, welcome all. So, I think um, to kick it off last time, uh, really we just wanted to hear from you all where you, a couple of things, right, where you're seeing um, this issue now, how you think you can make, get reform done, and when that might happen, and uh, putting it all in the context, I believe, of the four recommendations that the commission had put out uh, in 2015. So, um, anyone want to jump in on that, like where you see this conversation right now in the legislature? Well, let me put it this way. I, I'm excited that we're going to be able to address this this legislative session. I believe we are going to do that. The last time we, we attempted to do it, the House had a different version than the Senate. We only attempted to do two out of the four recommendations. We had originally done a commission, which never met because it never passed, uh, to look at the other two recommendations and come back with a better sense of the cost of those recommendations. Um, Maybe it's good to just say for everybody what those recommendations are. They're special ed, English language learning, the cost of health care, yes. and poverty in and the urban districts. Right. Yes, yes. Uh, we had just done the, uh, both the health care cost and, and special ed on the House. The Senate done all four recommendations the last time around. A bill has been, is being filed, uh, which I am a co-sponsor of that bill on the House side, uh, to look at all four recommendations. Uh, I think, I think I, we spoke earlier uh, or late last year on this issue uh, uh, with you. I spoke with you on this issue. Um, I think it seems that the cost, if, uh, if all four recommendations are to be adopted, the cost would be about a billion dollars, uh, a little shy of that, maybe just around there. Uh, depends who you listen to, uh, which numbers you look at. Um, phased in, obviously. Uh, the one that we passed on the House side with just two recommendations was $500 million of a five-year rate, uh, phase in of those. Um, you know, I, I really, th- and I supported that because I really thought, I really believed uh, that we were going to be back 
with recommendations from the commission to address the other two. The other two are very important for us in New Bedford, uh, as it is in most gateway cities, uh, which is English language learners and obviously low-income students. Uh, those uh, New Bedford would benefit significantly. Uh, if all four recommendations were to be adopted, we potentially would see possibly anything from 30 million to possibly 39 million more uh, you know, on over the, the course of the over the course of the phase in uh, for for chapter 70 for the city of Bradford. So I think that's significant. I mean, we some people say that money is not everything, but we think we believe that resources are very important in this particular situation. Uh, so I'll leave it at that. Let others chime in, and I have more thoughts on it. I mean, I'll jump in. It being new, one of Chris also here is new. Um, at the Legislative Academy, I can tell you that was one of the topics we were all discussing. We had free time. We were talking about this issue and where it landed in the last session. And, and I think everyone thought it was so close that they, they really were hopeful it would go through. Um, with the governor and his statements, I think he is very much obviously making it a four point. So I think the energy is there. I felt it as, as being someone new into the house, as being uh, one of the top topics. Um, the other one being transportation maybe. Mm -hmm. But um, so you know, one of the other differences as I understand between the House and Senate version in the last session was the accountability that the House put in. <coughs> and I do think that is important to keep it a, a method of uh, you know, just holding school districts accountable um, three of us represent a regional district, Freetown Lakeville here, or Viola, Schmidt, and myself. And uh, with regional districts, I think it gets even a little more complicated because um, they really act as a separate municipality almost with their budgets. So it's tough for the towns to, to, to get information for accountability. So I think it's important that the state sets up some portion is, is it tough for the suburbs to think of a, this being a transfer of wealth to the, yes. the cities that have more problems? So what is yeah. the suburban perspective for those of you who represent suburb, so, suburbs? I, here's, I think what, what's good about this and why you saw a unanimous vote in the House for, for the version last time was I think everybody understands this is, let's just set everything else aside and address the real cost of educating. And the House version, of course, dealt with the health care side, um, which is a number that we can put our hands on. Uh, dealt with special ed, which, again, is pretty knowledgeable to know, as Representative Cabral noted. The others was going to be a commission to study. So dealing with the real costs, I think everybody agrees with. And that's going to vary from district to district, town to town, city to city. But where I come in, which I don't think this study has dealt with, is sometimes in bumping that cost up and making the cost real, it could result in suburban districts paying much more. Now that $1 billion, for instance, just to put it in context, and it's not how it would be done at all, but if you took the 351 communities, that's, I've come up with about $2.8 million per community new money if it was spread evenly across 351. Not how it's going to be done, but I like to get things in context. So you're talking almost three million per district is what a billion dollars into the system would do if it was spread evenly. Not gonna happen that way, but just for knowledge. So I'm coming in new and also saying, well, I agree, let's look at the real cost to educate, but let's also look at the real revenues. Because the next step in the formula is once you've identified the foundation budget, how much it does cost to educate, 
and all these things are appropriate um, with the English as a second language and you know economically disadvantaged students. Let's look at the real cost of the real revenue because the next step in the formula is assessing wealth of the community to see how much they should pay and then the state picks up the rest of course. So what I've seen in my time in town government um, and I've spoke several times at some of the listening sessions that they did a few years ago for this report is <clears throat> the formula looks at two things. It looks at income, okay, that we can get the data on. But then it looks at the um, appraised value of property. And the difference that I'd like to look at is, is another way to mitigate potentially what can happen in the suburbs is there's the appraised value and then there's an assessed value. In some of our communities, we have, for instance, chapter lands for agriculture. The appraised value is what it would be developed, but the actual amount of money that the community can bring in tax-wise is much less. Or if it's state-owned lands. I worked at DCR statewide uh, prior to doing this job. There are some communities out west where two-thirds, three-quarters of the land mass is state-owned land. There's no taxes. And we need to make sure the formulas don't hurt those communities as well that look at what the appraised value of all that land is and say, well, you're a rich community. But there's no way that that community could ever realize those taxes. What would be the difference to like someplace like Lakeville in appraised value versus assessed value? Well, you know, let's say, uh, I can speak, and maybe Rich, Rich Schmidt can also speak to this and others, but, um, you know, I would say for agricultural land, Chapter 61A, you may be looking at what could be a, a $2,000 tax bill might be $100. Um, and, and that's a rough estimate. It's a significant... $100 difference, not... No, no. no, no, no. 2000 down to $100? Correct. Correct. So where would the money come from? Well, that, this, is, <laughs> this is what squeezed, and that's what I'm saying. If we're going to address the real cost, let's address the real... Norman, Jack, can, can I just jump yeah, in? Sure. I, I, you use the term uh, transfer of wealth. I don't think that's what uh, we're con contemplating in this. I think the, 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 the question is... New money. Where will new money go? Well, Please, I don't think anybody contemplates taking anything away from any community. That would be uh, dead on arrival. That's what yeah. your colleagues yeah, said the, on the Tuesday. De yeah. The delegation yes. on Tuesday yeah. said that everybody has to get something. Yeah. In right. order for they it. may We're win less. We're talking about, about <laughs> yeah. new money. Right. Not re redistribution. Yeah. It's just right. well, and, and, and if I could just, just step away from that topic for a second and just... You know, you talk, I think a lot of um, concern out there and, and, and advocacy elevating on we need to do this, right? We need to change the formula. I think there's no one at this table as we sit here today. We're in our districts every day. We see this dire changes yes. in what's going on in the classrooms and in our schools today, uh, representing primarily Fall River with a, with a precinct in Freetown. The schools have changed dramatically of the need, you know, our, our, the social emotional needs in our classrooms are huge. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just picking up on when Rep. Schmidt said that, I mean, we're not, we know where the gaps are. The gaps are not necessarily everywhere. We know where they are. Yeah. And they're in the communities like a Fall River, New Bedford, the Gateway communities and others, and, uh, and they're real. 
um, once we ended session last year, um, I had uh, Chair Peich uh, come down to Fall River um, to uh, because you know there was concern, right? You, know, you only get certain information. What happened? The deal broke down, you know, and we knew we were going to gear up for this session. So we had Chair Peich come down this summer, and, and Rep. Schmidt and I were there, and uh, with all the uh, educators, leaders, and classroom teachers, as well as um, you know, special um, uh, adjustment counselors and others, and they were giving us the day-to-day -day stories of what they deal with in the classroom, let alone the larger class sizes. But um, one teacher needed to spend, uh, adjustment counselor spent her whole day, and, and this is in a few hundred children in the, in the school, 800, she spent the day chasing a child on a wall after recess, to for his safety, if you recall, Reb Schmidt, um, and, and that took her uh, away from a parent meeting on a very, very serious subject that parents had come in for, and and these are not simple um, behavioral issues that we grew up with in our classrooms. The reality is, it's not, and 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 then you add to that. I mean, it was important for us to see it. We knew it, and we see it every day, but um, we also see the special needs and the high costs of that, and, and, and we have the English language learners. We have schools that haven't yet been able to adjust for their faculty and professionals to you know, enough diversity and bilingual to, to, to work with the families and, and the students, so we see that. So you're, you know, your rep all is right. We have to look at not you know, harming anyone, and, and that's not the intention. We gotta figure out how to get the funds yeah. because well, that, we're that, being screamed at, well, and I say that in a loving way, for a billion and a half dollars a year extra. And that the governor has pledged not to raise uh, taxes, so where does the revenue come from? <laughs> well, you're gonna have to ask that question to the governor. Uh, the governor thinks we can do everything without additional resources. Good luck to him. Uh, but I, also there's a role for local communities to, to, better, to do several things better. Uh, places like New Bedford, they've improved, uh, is identifying ELL students, right? And also, a better, we need a better definition and a better, uh, how to better, identify low income. As you know, since we had free lunches in New Bedford and other communities, um, everybody gets a free lunch regardless of income. So that in itself has created an issue, who is low income, who's not low income. So we gotta get a better a better sense of that and, the, and that's the role of the local community and the local school department to do that. I mean, New Bedford, along with many other communities in the state, lost over since 2002, millions of dollars just on ELL students. By the way, the, the existing formula does account for some ELL additional costs, except we stopped counting them. If you remember, because of the referendum, we stopped counting those students. In New Bedford, until very recently, didn't have a good number either. We're down like to 100 people. Now it's about, I think it's over 3,000 now they have been identified. So they need to do also a better count of those students. We, we no longer can stop counting like we did. Uh, so there are some roles uh, for local communities to play here. Uh, uh -huh. We have recouped in New Bedford to a certain degree some of that money uh -huh. over the last two or three years since we actually started counting ELL students again. Um, and, and if we're going to reform additional uh, language around ELL students, it's important that that count is an accurate count and it's a good count. 
and that relies on local community. So Senator Martigny, when he was here, said that he felt you didn't have to raise revenue because there was enough money in corporate tax cuts and film tax cuts. Does anybody have a sense for the credits? There was a tax, tax credits. credits. Yep. Uh, the tax credits that you give to corporations and you give to the film industry, I think. Uh, he said don't give them. And, and, and they were talking about sunsetting some yeah. existing tax credits. Yeah. Well, I know there has been a, a lot of discussion at the state house about how really uh, out of date our tax code is and and uh, it is based on a manufacturing economy where we tend to tax things uh, that are made if you will uh, and of course it's changed and there is a concern that we aren't taxing things a really great example uh, was uh, the uh, Amazon type sales uh, Mm -hmm. uh, which until just recently weren't getting taxed, uh, really to the detriment of Main Street retailers. But so, and that was just one example uh, of of things that weren't getting taxed. And then some of the credits that are being given out, like famously the film tax credit. And there's, you know, there's a lot of people arguing on both sides of that. But for those in those two pots, the thought is uh, that. Maybe with some thoughtful reform, uh, as Tony's just said, that th there would be some increased uh, revenues uh, for. Where for was this. the revenue identified for what you guys passed at last year for the two recommendations that you talked about? We didn't identify okay. specific sources of revenue, but I think sure. the other concern that I think we all should have is uh, is is the growth in revenue that the state will see this fiscal year. We don't know what's going to be the next fiscal year. Or the, I'm saying fiscal year 2020 that is being projected. Um, right now, there's a consensus revenue growth, right, between it, the administration and House and Senate that they already put out, which is at 2.7, right? Even though this economy is supposed to be humming, right? And uh, we have unemployment at the lowest levels in almost 50 years in the, in the country and in the state as well. Not in some, you know, there are some pockets that are bigger than that. But a growth of 2.7, it's a problem, right? How are we going to fit in, even if it's a phase in? Let's say, let's say if we, we get all four recommendations, we're going to act on those four recommendations. And let's, for sake of discussion, let's say it's a billion dollars, right? Mm -hmm. And let's say it's five-year phase in. Now we can do the math, right? How are we going to get that additional money on top of the growth of Chapter 70 anyway that's been growing around 3% or so, depending on what the governor recommends? Uh, yeah. This fiscal year that we are in now, the growth is 3.9, right? Prediction. And we are lowering it for the next fiscal year, 2.7. And the projections were not... Tremendously positive for the future. And yeah, yeah, that's, but, that's but, but we were underprojected on this on the other fiscal year because we came up with a surplus of over six hundred million dollars on the fiscal year that just ended July third, oh. uh, thirty. I mean June thirtieth. Um, so I think the projections of growth are, are either off or very conservative, or there is a concern going forward of recession is down the road. Right again, um, we don't know what that is. So. Yeah, we can look at that, um, as uh, some of the other colleagues talked about, with some tax incentives some for corporations, for film tax, and all of that. But that will not get you to a billion dollars, right? 
Um, Actually, it's a billion five that they've asked for. Uh, oh, is that off, is that off the table? Depends which ones are going to go, which ones are not going to go, right? Yeah. Actually, we lowered the, the corporate tax during the Patrick administration. Uh, you know, on, on several steps down. You know, uh, we are down, I think, uh, around eight percent or less. I think now on corporate taxation it used to be much higher than it used to be around twelve percent. Right? We lowered that down by various. So, I'm not saying that we need to raise taxes at this point, what I'm saying, or raise revenues, let's put it if it sounds better. Uh, what I'm saying is we need to carefully look at our revenue sources, what the growth will be, are we, uh, is, is the experts or the, the economists that come in, along with the administration, ANF, which ANF has a lot to do with how to project these things, right? Um, and we know who sits in ANF, right? Um, or the administration. Uh, so they have a tendency to project things a little more, uh, you know, conservatively in that sense. Uh, so we have to really, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very concerned with the growth of 2.7. We can't even, 2.7, we, we have to build the next budget. We're going to debate it in the House most likely in April, sometimes it's supposed to be in April. Uh, and Is this, it an it, obstacle you're not going to get over? Are you suggesting that something may not get passed this legislative session on education no, funding reform? No, I think something's going to get passed. Okay. No, no, that's my hope, and that's how I believe the momentum is there, and we cannot lose but the amounts momentum. may not be? We might have to uh, look at uh, different ways of how... How should the phase in be five years? Should the phase in be seven years? I mean, you got to look at okay. different options here. So that's that's different from what the activists, the education activists, the superintendents' associations, the um, uh, teachers' unions yeah. have asked for. They, they're asking for 1.5 billion yeah. now. Well, the 1.5, the 1.5 includes 500 million for higher ed. That's right. Right. Uh, I'm talking about just K through 12. Then you have other things that are very important: pre-K and full-day kindergarten. We still don't have. It's still not compulsory. Massachusetts. So you have kids in New Bedford that go full day. Other kids don't even show up at kindergarten, right? Uh, or they Amen. have an absentee uh, rate of extremely high. So when that kid gets to first grade, uh -huh. he or she is not as prepared as the one who attended every day, right? Um, and that requires uh, uh, some changes. I would like to see a, you know, uh, okay, uh, be compulsory. In other words, not only are we going to offer full day kindergarten, but it ought to be compulsory. If we really think that's important, and I, I think all of us think it's important, at least I think it is. I think most experts in, in the education field believe that's extremely important. Never mind pre-K, right? Uh, Three-year-olds and four-year-olds, in particular four-year-olds, right? Um, and that's going to require, I mean, I've been final legislation on this for a number of sessions on making compulsory, uh, full-day kindergarten compulsory and making pre-K universal. Uh, I'm going to file those again. This time, uh, the pre-K universal, I'm going to offer in the form of a commission to have all the experts on the table, have them look at it. So and I'm confused a little bit. Are you talking about pre-K and, and um, full-day kindergarten as uh, preferences to the f addressing all four of the things no, at no, once? No, no, those, those are things that we need to address as well. And it did come and up. If we're going to be successful. Yeah. On Tuesday, your colleagues raised that this one as well. Yeah. As yeah. Charter yeah. schools yeah. versus yeah. district schools versus right. folk schools versus right. expanding. Right. All of the, mm -hmm. So it is a bit of a mess, though, yeah. right? Which is well, sort of why These are why all things here. that I right. 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 commission right. was put together yeah. yes. uh, you know, back I, in 2015. I, I just want to say uh, I, I'm not so sure. It's a, I, I, I'm not sure it's a mess. Okay. Uh, and, in fact, I'd like to just make the point that 
I think we should be tremendously uh, encouraged by the fact that we are as far along on this discussion as we are. Okay. Because we're talking fundamentally about how we allocate money. And that that is a thicket. Uh, and, and yet we're talking about it. And I just want to give kudos uh, to people like Tony who have been on the forefront of this battle uh, for a long time and a, a big shout out to our colleague um, uh, Chair uh, Representative Peich, the Chair of the Education so what, Committee. So, Paul, what do you mean when you say uh, we're as far along as we are? Where are what have we accomplished so, so far? Sure. So, uh, for the past four years there's been a commission that has been studying the foundation uh, budget and it's been their recommendations uh, that we have to increase our funding in ELL uh, to offset for health care. We actually have passed some of those recommendations, right? Yeah. The House yeah. passed Thank two. Thank you, Tony. Yes. Uh, and, and at the same time, included another commission to come back in six months uh, for the other two recommendations. The Senate actually passed all four already. Once. So, so, so we're... That's right, but you haven't solved the revenue problem yet. The, well, the, 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 that's, the voters that's, that's the next the step. At least, at least we've decided that what is currently allocated needs improvement for cities like New Bedford and Fall River. And we've identified the areas. And, and I was starting to give a big shout out uh, to Chair Peich, who comes from Wellesley, you know, <laughs> We don't have to worry about Wellesley. She has taken it upon herself to spend a lot of time down in down here in New Bedford and Fall River. As uh, Rep. Fiola mentioned, she spent an afternoon with us uh, this summer. Uh, she's been here uh, in New Bedford sitting with the superintendent. She was with uh, the superintendent in Fall River a couple of years ago, and, and she's really taken it upon herself yes. to uh, understand the issues down here, and, and we we are moving uh, forward, and I just, okay, I'm, 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 I'm so gratified I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I, I'm just trying to understand whether the House and Senate are going to be able to resolve their differences where you guys only did SPED and health care, and they did everything with ELL and all, or is that something that is to be decided? They didn't put numbers to it, right. okay? And the Senate. This conversation the Senate. will continually come we back today. But, but today, this conversation will continually come back to where's the money? Yes. Right? right. So it was nice, and, and, and again, it was pitched out, and the Senate put it out there. We're doing it all, but there was no number attached. So, and we put a little bit, you know, we did health care, we're phasing it in. The, don't be Ed Reform back in what, 25 years ago, this year, I believe, um, was phased in. Over yeah. seven years, yeah. I understand. Yeah. So um, I was back in school at the time, and, and, and wasn't seven years. But but seven but five. seven years. So we know these issues are dramatic. Right. They've been surfacing the commission, and, and yes, it's not fast enough for anyone. But it would be fair to say that it's it's been many years that they've been talking about every form, and it hasn't happened yet. 
And I think the most. And the recommendations were certainly coming to a head now. We haven't heard from Chris. It's certainly coming to a head now. And any legislation that ends up getting passed on this is obviously, in some respect, going to be a compromise. You know, where's the new revenue going to come from? How much of it? I think the the thing we all agree on from across the the Commonwealth is that we need to make whatever revenue we get a priority for education. Period. so when I see, and I was at a press conference with Tony yesterday, um, with Ch- Senator Chang Diaz, who is, you know, who was pushing the, uh, the, the promise bill, um, which, which, as you said, encompasses a whole uh, number of things. Um, but, but those issues are at least identified. And, and I think um, getting the hard numbers on that, you know, uh, associating that with the new revenue, you know, how are we gonna get healthcare costs down? Healthcare is a major, um, obstacle of, the, of, well, of education because right. that, it's constantly rising and a lot of that the, the chapter 70 funding goes to that so when you say make a priority for education does that mean transportation and health care which is not going to receive the money from the federal government that it did in previous years are, are lower priorities if, if you're asking me what's more important education or transportation I would say education absolutely um, you know obviously I'm new to this I'm new to the game you know I there's a lot of things to learn um, about uh, making new laws, especially yeah. something as comprehensive as this. But when you have, um, you know, the healthcare issue, you know, identified, you have, we know what's wrong with the old law but with respect to the people with disabilities uh, or children with disabilities. It's a very speculative that the law 25 years ago was very speculative as, as to how many children are going to be using or needing uh, SPED services in schools. Um, so the new law, you know, um, put forth by the Senate with Senator Chang Diaz identifies that and says, let's let's do it based on cold, hard facts instead of speculation. I think things like that, common sense uh, approaches, um, are gonna do, do well for, for the, the children of the Commonwealth. If I may, another reason why I think I'm also encouraged here because I think there's starting to become an understanding that what's holding us back from those growths, what's, what's holding us, our economy, from that growing is an educated workforce. and. So that it, it starts to become a cyclical issue where, well, if we, if we don't fund the education, then we may see declining uh, growth because we're not providing those workers. And that runs the full range, not only in the educated, uh, you know, um, secondary education and so on for white collar jobs, but it goes right down to manufacturing jobs. I know I've talked to manufacturers, a few that are left in, in my um, district, and they can't find those skilled vocational workers. So that was where you mentioned before, vocational, up and down the, the line. Educated workforce will help us grow our economy. So there is, that's where the give and take does come. And I think that's why I'm encouraged because we're not just talking about throwing money at something. We're looking at putting money in that in truly as an investment, that's an overused term, but. So the current formula gives communities like Fall River and New Bedford 80 and 90% yes. of their school budget. Yep. Places like Rochester and uh, Lakeville get 10 or 20%. That's correct. Do you expect that to continue in the, well, in the new if, reform? You know, honestly, even if it does, I mean, that's yes. the realities of, of the difference between <laughs> cities and yeah. <laughs> back, to your, you know, back to the concern, yes. Greater so, needs. Uh, so Greater I, needs. So okay, so you, 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 you expect that too, Norman? Well, yeah, I do. I, I, I swear, I haven't heard, you know, we talk about new money. I, I, I think the concern, and it hits on what you asked me in the beginning, is the concern is when you come out to, to our districts where, where it's becoming the foundation budget will become a mandated. That's what you will spend on your students. Right. You, the only reason I asked that question. You don't want to be holding, you, 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 you know that the property tax is the last place to go. And, and, and if, no, if no other money comes from another source, that's where it's going to come from. 
The only reason Let's I ask that question is because there have been rumblings that there have been rumblings that some suburban legislators would like more money to go to the suburbs and yeah. less to the. That's not out of left field. That's you know, yeah. we're him. Everything we do, everybody wants a piece yeah. of the pie. And uh, right. I just wanted to just quickly go back to Jack and say, you said you know we, we're not quick enough. 2015, the commission recommendations, but there was a there was a thrown out there the ballot initiative on uh, what has been called the millionaire tax that was you know in, in, in between 2015 and now that was looked at as a tool to help with revenue so so there it's not like nothing had been done there were uh, tools and, and and you know put out there and uh, again it's not easy finding a billion dollars a year uh, but that was one of them and that didn't work and so we came back to uh, as we continued looking at other sources but that really threw uh, threw something out the window that was going to be looked at as education, transportation, and, and possibly Fair point. would have added. So, I mean, disparities. Oh, sorry, Tony. Okay. Yeah. I mean, disparities with the suburbs versus the cities. I mean, that's it's, that's the realities of the situation. We don't have the luxury to, to legislate based on a perfect world. But what I will say is that you know a family in Boston has a vested interest in a well-educated populace down in New Bedford. And that goes the same with the Cape relative to Worcester and, and all other areas of the state. So, so when it comes to education, you know, when I say prioritizing education, that you know, if there are some areas that receive less resources for whatever reason, then so be it. But at the end of the day, the end game should be a, a better educated youth here uh, in the Commonwealth. And if that comes at the expense of, of some towns getting receiving less money because they already have those resources, then so be it. Chris, I want to just add to that. Wellesley, where Chair Keish lives, and, and as Rep. Schmidt said so accurately, she understands, even though she doesn't live in a community like a Fall River, New Bedford, she gets it, she comes and sees it. But I would put the teachers in Wellesley and the teachers in Fall River, New Bedford, and Freetown, and everywhere else in our, in our area here on equal plane. Mm -hmm. But what's going on in the classroom and the challenges in Wellesley are night and day from the challenges in the Fall River, New Bedford, in terms of, so when you say, are people gonna be saying they need more money too? Well, this is what, you know, why we're here, and this is, you know, why these recommendations, those recommendations clearly outline certainly health care for everyone and all that, but we have got some different extenuating yeah. circumstances. There, there are some blue-collar suburbs like Wareham that feel like the formula is not fair to them. Right. And, and there so are some that have some well It's spilled over to a lot of these, some of these communities as well, but um, the teachers, the educators on the same level, same playing field, same qualifications and expertise, but they're dealing with a whole different different issue. And so when you say, will they be complaining? I mean, it's very clear, and that's why Chair Paish and others go out there into the, into the Commonwealth and see these schools and see the realities of that. I know some of you were at that meeting, the superintendent's forum on Tuesday night, and I think having multiple superintendents representing multiple districts talking about very passionately the number of cuts they've had to make, the, the struggle that they're having and make it, I don't know if that, Influenced anyone's no, thinking at all? Yeah, it goes to the piece of what we talked about earlier, but you know, with a collective, pretty much consensus statewide on on, on needing to fix this issue. And I was very encouraged uh, by that to see, uh, like you said, all the superintendents, uh, you know, the people who were in the room, the people who showed up. This is a building um, uh, consensus on this issue. But if, if it's not already built already, I felt there was a real disconnect in that room. Okay. There was a sense from some of the superintendents that we weren't doing anything. Mm. Representative Haddad addressed that in her comments. 
Yeah, and I, I had to leave oh, early, I so I before. missed she, that. She wasn't able to be specifically clear, but she made her point, which is what you just said, that there has been stuff. But that, I don't think there was yes. a lot of that during that. I mean, it, it, there was one comment that she addressed, but aside from that one comment, it wasn't much. I don't know. Yes. Maybe but I'm you know, just tetchy, but I just felt there was an undercurrent, Chris, of, of we're talking to you, we're looking over our way, because you haven't been doing enough, and that is... But regardless I mean, if you have or not, the pressure is on you guys. Don't you think that, that, that there's just, a demand no, to get I something think we done? we need that pressure yeah. from the outside. Yeah, we do. With any important. major piece of legislation or any yeah. major shift on, sh on any, kinds of, any kind of formula like, like chapter 70 needs outside momentum, needs outside pressure, uh -huh. both from editorial boards down to yeah. superintendents, teachers, unions, uh, we need that kind of thing. Yeah. It only happens, it won't happen just from the pressure inside the building amongst sure. each other, right? Yeah. Like criminal and justice so, reform. That did so not we, just we need one that. day wake up. We need up. that. I don't, and I'm not afraid of that pressure. Good. I think we need that. I think it's important that we'll create additional momentum for us to get it done. And I think we'll, we'll get it done. Now, will every district see the same increase as New Bedford? Well, absolutely not, and they shouldn't, right? Uh, but some, all districts will see some adjustment, in particular on, on the health care cost, mm -hmm. uh, be Lakeville mm -hmm. or be Wellesley or whoever it might be. And I'm not here to defend Wellesley. <laughs> they do all right in this world. Um, and quite frankly, the state is really the number one in this country in terms of education. We are number one in the country in terms of education. Number one on the SAT results. We are number I would like uh, to pick up on that and, and also something Norman began talking about with, with accountability. The difference is, is the achievement gap, the achievement gap is not in Wellesley, it's not in Newton, right? Well, it's in New Bedford, it's in Fall River, it's in Holyoke. Holyoke just went into receivership, the school system. So, and this is what the formula should address, is that achievement gap, and how do we fix that? We've been talking about it for so, many, so long, Absolutely. this is the time okay. to do it. I don't think there was much disagreement in this room that, that, that the cities is where the, the biggest problem, uh, some blue-collar suburbs. Um, the Pioneer Institute was here recently, and they had some concerns that when you do this reform, it's sometimes like when you have a constitutional convention and everything gets on the table and you don't know what's going to happen. And they were concerned that there has been pressure from the unions and other places in recent years to eliminate some of the accountability standards that were part of the 1993 education reform. And that that, you know, required the MCAS testing, some of the other testing they're not as much a fan of, but the testing, uh, uh, the, um, the standards that, that, that went hand in hand with the additional money and that those standards be retained. Is there anybody who thinks that? that? Before you finish that question, because on the night that the superintendents had their forum, they had an opposite. They talked about accountability, but they talked about it as a lot of the additional money went to cover it. accountability and didn't go to the classroom. Right. So, right. No, yes. I, mean, I think that's a bit uh, When I talk about accountability, it's not just, and you know, I'm not a huge fan of high stakes testing myself, I, you know, and we don't want to take away from educating just to get kids through a test. But when I talk about economy, it's really, you know, we don't want to see that, um, you know, additional money goes, let's say it goes to Freetown Lake, and, 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 and the superintendent says, well, you know what, we, we've got these other things covered, you know, let's build a new, you know, siphon some money off for some capital project or whatever. I mean, we just want to make sure that if it is for these issues that we've identified, healthcare, special ed, you know, economically disadvantaged, et cetera, 
that it's going towards. So you want to restrict it from yeah, going. I, for me, it's it's, uh, it's not personally when I talk about accountability. I just want to make sure it's going to okay. those things and it's addressing those things. I mean. But realistically, that might free up other sections of the budget that right now are covering the shortfalls. Realistically, we could. Right. I wanted to go to the classroom. We need those classroom right. numbers to be reduced. We know that is a tremendous, makes a, a, whole, a huge difference when you have 30 kids in the class versus 15 or 20. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a great beginning. That's where we, the money should go, is strictly to the classroom. Um, and I, I, and as you said, that I think uh, those additional resources that will come to school districts like ours, you know, Bedford, it will really, it will sort of help the other areas of the budget because we don't have to put in so much for other things. Uh, the capital piece, I mean, there is a, uh, there is a, the best, the best school capital improvement program in the country. It's, yeah. We have in Massachusetts yeah. the school building right. authority, and that's where all those things should be yeah, channeled sure. through. Uh, not sure. like when we did. By the way, several years back, we had an exception done that I passed it in the House and the Senate, it was passed by Senator Montigny, when the numbers, when they couldn't count in New Bedford, uh, was, so we got an additional few million dollars that came to the city because of that, we corrected that. Never before Chapter 7 had been corrected that way, and we corrected for that fiscal year for New Bedford. Some of that money went to fix the issue of the fire, the Carney Academy, and other capital projects that's not acceptable, and that's what I don't want to happen when it comes, additional funding comes. Okay, but what about high-stakes okay, testing? They're, they're arguing that, that, that those curriculum standards, that high-stakes testing is why Massachusetts ranks number one in the nation for you know, almost 20 years now when compared with other states. That, that is not, well, uh, you, is you don't view that as important? Accountability is important, and, you know, uh, uh. and I wouldn't expect anything else from the Pioneer Institute. Uh, but I think it's important to allow teachers also to teach. It's important for kids to get other experiences in addition just to the standardized testing, such as music, such as sports, such as art. Physical I mean, that an all-rounded education. I think uh, as, the, as the high testing came on and grew and, 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 and evolved to where it is today. So might we see it go away in this? I don't think away. I think that was while all these issues yeah. We're emerging in the classroom, so they collided. And these teachers are, are, are in the classroom when you're dealing with the high stakes, test, stakes testing right. with the English language learners, with the social right. emotional behaviors in the right. classroom. And they're trying to manage high numbers in the classroom, and they are trying to manage this. So there's been an outpouring of saying, we're, we're, we're strangling. These educators visit the classrooms, Jack. These, these teachers you know, are magicians. First grade teachers with 28 kids in the classroom Several on medications, several with, you know, uh, it's, 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 a, it's a concern for them. So now add to that, as that was growing, all those issues, the high stakes testing, and you got to prepare, and you got to plan, and their tenure and their um, performance is evaluated on that. And, and, and so, gosh, I mean, not to go back at all, but yeah. I think when we grew up, every one of us with uh, SRAs and, and all these things, I mean, we did it and we walked to school, we walked home, we came back. It was a little, it was a different day. And so surely the Pioneer Institute wants to ensure that we have standards. We're number one in the country. The only problem is we're not number one. And this is what the educators would say in the superintendents the other day in many of the schools. Well, yeah. around the Commonwealth, uh, and it's because we have this gap. It grew over the last 25 years. I see it as we are. I, I, I don't see it as adversarial. I think we're, we're really on the same team, but we are now tasked with not just saying we got to fix it. We're the ones that have to fix it. And so that's what we're, where we're at right now. I want to say don't throw out mm. the high standards. Yeah, no. 
That is very important. But let's give our teachers yes. in the classroom the tools they needed that they need to be able to bring every kid up to that high standard, no matter where they live, no matter what the zip code is. And, and I think it's been said that part of the goal of bringing this uh, foundation budget up is to free up that they're, that they're already, de hey, this stuff exists today, the English to second language, the low income, that all exists today, the healthcare costs. They're, they're getting it done. God bless our teachers, because they're getting it done. And most teachers I know will to, they'll do what it takes. They'll spend their own money, et cetera. And they do. So, so, they do. And they do. So I think when we do see this, it, 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 will, it will free up opportunities to, to, to make that high stakes less important um, as, as far as such a burden on them. Because these other burdens, hopefully, the intent is to lessen. I think that's what we said. What about charter school formula? Um, there's been, you know, we had this big uh, 1,000 pupil um, application in New Bedford. Even if they get 500, the mayor has said it could have devastating effects, not just on the school budget, but even on other parts of the municipal budget. You know, whether, uh, and yet, Others say that the charter schools really has served an important role in, in showing the way as to how you can do some effective education in the inner city. Is there any interest in reforming the way that, that the, the charter school formula? Because what, what we understand is that, that you're not funding them in the third, fourth, fifth year. That that, that, that that money just never gets sent back. Well, I, I think we need to look at the charter school reimbursement formula. I think first we need to, the state needs to fully funded it at 100%. This this fiscal year, we only funded at 52, 52%, right? Uh, so the city of Mabeza, for example, if it was if we had funded that line item at 100%, the city of Mabeza would have received reimbursement of almost 4 million rather than 1.8 million or 1.9 million, right? So that that does mean something, right, for places like New Bedford. Uh, not so much for places, uh, wealthy communities, because they don't have charter schools. And the reason why we have charter schools is because because of the achievement gap as well, right? Under that cap, the new, and the reason why New Bedford and all these seats are available is because we are still under the cap of that. Uh, so it, in essence, it sort of penalizes, I think, to a certain degree, communities like New Bedford and Fall River and Holyoke and Brockton, Lawrence, the list goes on, right? So we need to, I think, step one, we need to fully, fully fund that line item to begin with. Second, we need to look how many years of reimbursement should we have? Should it be uh, just 100% on the first year? Should it be greater than, should it be then drop to 25% on the second, third, and fourth year? So we gotta look at that. Ideally, in the long run, in my opinion, if I've always been of that opinion, that that should be a complete separate line item. Should not be, be coming from chapter 70, should not be coming from the foundation money. That's, but that's, needs momentum as well. That needs a tremendous uh, support from the outside. Would that lead to better funding of it or worse? Well, at least with, with uh, uh, first would stop Rob and Peter to pay Paul. Okay. We would have a line item that pays Paul and another line item that pays Peter, right? And then, uh, uh, yes, the, the, the charter school community, meaning, you know, the administrators and the board of directors and all that stuff, they would have to step up their game and try to convince the legislature that they deserve additional funding, right? Right now, they don't have to do any of that. So is that yeah. funding and reimbursement formula likely to be part of this education reform that you do this year? Because what the mayor is saying is that if it isn't, 
you know, the, you know they, they will not be able to absorb the cost if the, the state approves these seats. Well, I, I don't see it being part of the, of the four recommendations. I think uh, I see this as being a separate debate in the separate effort, in essence. I mean, the first effort is, again, tied to revenues. Uh, do we have enough revenues at a 2.7 growth to actually fund that at 100% rather than 52%, right? So and we, if, if we don't, where is the money coming from? Where are we going to take it from? Is it from transportation? Is it from local aid? So this would be a separate aid? thing that you hope to get done this year or well, might get at done? Least, at least uh, make some progress this legislative session. Okay, yeah. because what the mayor is saying is he can't wait. That, that, that He will have drastic um, consequences if those schools are approved, if those seats are approved, and you don't reform the charter reimbursement formula. No, it's, it's on the table to be discussed. But uh, I don't see it as necessarily as part of, part of the bill that would uh, get the full recommendations of the, of the foundation necessarily be part of that. If we can include in that, if we can somehow amend that, that would be great. Is it a priority? Uh, it is a priority for me, and it is a priority for many other folks. Is There's it a priority for the majority? There's some communities that doesn't impact. We don't know. So yeah. it's is not it as across the board as education. Priority for yeah. Representative DeLeo? <laughs> Well, it might be because, you know, Revere, you know, uh, is effective, but it doesn't just represent Winthrop, right? Uh, but it's not a priority for every legislator. For example, the folks from uh, communities uh, like, uh, I don't want to pick on Wellesley, let's say Newton or other places, uh, uh, they don't eat. And they really, that's not a priority for them because they don't have uh, charter schools in their district. So it's really a priority for most of us in they live in gateway cities, or those who represent at least a piece of a gateway city, should be a priority. Uh, so, uh, and hopefully we can see some some movement in that. I, I'm not uh, these things when it, when it involves revenue, you're not going to see a movement in one full just one fiscal year. Uh, but I think if we see some movement, um, then I think that's positive. I mean, let's say if we move just alone, if we were able to, if we were able to fund that line item at 100%, uh, the impact to New Bedford, even though let's say if some of those seats would be approved, uh, the impact would be less than otherwise would be. So, so when you look at the, um, the formula, and it really is the formula, it's not ed reform. You're not, you're not talking about ed reform. No. It's not even on the table. It, it's the formula. It's chapter seven. Which is basically you're talking about money. Right. right? right. You're, trying to, you're trying to find a way to get money. So we'll leave it up to you to find the money. But what what what's the nobody at the forum the other night is giving you any suggestions as to how to find the money. No. They're just giving you the suggestions as, as to where it needs to go. Um, so some of you know, uh, uh, I spent 12 years on a regional school committee, and I started in '92. So just before Ed Reform, and I, we took Ed Reform. I did all my MCAS battles, so I get scars, you know. Uh, but nevertheless, it's here. Um, but the but the formula. The formula was criticized the day it was passed. Right? Criticized by, by the Cape. The, the Cape got screwed on the real estate values uh, because there's, there's a lot of poverty down there, but not in the ocean. Right? Right. Uh, out west, they, they got screwed from the beginning. So then you develop this um, extra money that might be available because no one ever gets hurt, right? No one ever gets hurt. So even when you're talking about money now, nobody is going to get hurt. You're not going to get votes if somebody gets hurt, right? So, so everybody, everybody has to be somewhat improved. Um, I don't know how you're going to change the formula, 
I mean, the formula is so damn complicated. I don't know how you change it to get it to where you want to go. But is it possible that you can address those four critical issues, which quite frankly, back in 93, I didn't, when I was treasurer for the, for the region, we didn't have the health care issues you have now. It just wasn't as expensive. No. Um, we didn't, we had special ed, and, and I can tell you, I talked to a couple of school committee members just yesterday. The formula always was, the formula, right? The data was 17% of your kids were on IEPs, and it took 26% of your budget. And that was even so. That's, in, in that, that's what it was. It, it hasn't changed. Nope. It, it hasn't changed. But that's not enough. So now you're pitting special ed against regular ed, right? So, so, but that's the, that's kind of the same in New Bedford and Wellesley. I mean, the, the you know, 17, 26. So you can find a way to get Wellesley some money and get some votes. Um, and, and and it's the same thing. The gateway cities are the only ones that are different with the English as the second language. You have much higher population. Yeah, Boston uh, too. But yeah, same, same, same thing. So, so I had mentioned it to the other group. As a former school committee member, I don't care about the formula. I just want the money. <laughs> if you can find a way to get the money without... You got a question the there? Um. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Are you committed to the four real key items and not to the formula? Well, I am committed. Get the money in. Does it have to be done by the formula, or can you address the four issues and get the money faster? Well, we. I am committed to all four, but I think what's what's fair, at least, to, to say is that, and I know, the Senate does things sometimes uh, more progressively, and and that's great for them, you know. Uh, but I'm saying is at least what we did in the House in the last session. Not only we, we did adopt all four at once, but we, we put money on the two that we adopted. Okay. We put $500 million over a five-year period. The Senate did basically... But you didn't identify a revenue. No, so we did not. I mean, but that means $100 million every year, depending, on the, growth, depending on the growth of the economy, the growth of the revenue, $100 million can be somewhat worked into the into into, into that right yeah. and so you had some know, new streams right. coming on small ones you have small streams like uh, marijuana gambling and, and stuff like that so yeah. Yeah. sports betting coming sports down betting and hopefully coming down so there'll be additional streams of, of, of that so the question is should and, and I think it's fair to say that the other two items ELL and low income it's already part of the formula, person. It's already part of the formula. If the communities do a good job at that, they're going to see already a difference on their foundation money, on their chapter 70 money. Now, we need to make adjustments in those two, absolutely, and I, I want to get them done as soon as possible. And I think that the approach that we did is six months later, we're going to have a commission come back and say, by the way, because the, the, the commission, the review commission, did not put numbers to those two categories, per se, right? So we need to have some good numbers around those two categories. I mean, who, I don't think there's anybody that cares more about ELL uh, issues than I, than I care about, right? So you need that's important. the commission to study how much the numbers should be? Well, I mean, if that's what we did the last time, right? That's some expertise. That was we actually wanted, it didn't. Put some people in a room that really know how to look at these things uh, and, and come back and say, okay, you need the, uh, it's gonna cost you for ELL students in, in low income an additional 
500 million, for example. They they projected. They're projecting that, but they're not sure what it is. Uh, In order for us to address those, and we need to address them, the sooner the better. I I said, I would say five years would be ideal. Perhaps we have to look at seven years phase in, like we did when we did five or seven year phase in. Right, like we did the last time we did the other reform in '93. It was a seven year phase in, and then build upon those once upon uh, uh, that. You know, I think that would be a great step. And the money, I mean, right now there is no specific revenue for that, right? No specific stream of revenue, but there are little pieces of new streams that will come in, and and hopefully the economy. grows to accommodate that additional 100 million or additional 200 million uh, that goes to education. We have a rainy day fund that is over 2 billion already now, okay? And uh, should we continue to put some money away on that rainy day fund? Absolutely. We have to build it up to about, at least I would say, 2.8 billion would be a comfortable number uh, because this way would not, we would have a nice, a nice question there in case of a, what kind of recession might come down the line. Because um, then we have to plug in, right? Revenue. Um, so uh, I think. I, 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 have you had discussions with the um, mayors of the gateway cities and the superintendents and the the unions as to whether five to seven years is is I have the not kind of thing that had they, any discussion with any they, group. No group discussion with uh, with mayors of gateway cities. Uh, we haven't been able to get them only in one room. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, I mean, if they would like to talk to us, sure. I'll we talk sat to with them. Fall River and, and yeah. sit with them regularly, and they yeah. want it now. Yeah. They want because one and a half billion Sometimes you get, now. You you get the impression so that they think the problem is acute, right. and they, they think it, it needs it, to be done. I think we all agree. I think, I think yes. we're not going to get you probably today. The answer you want us to say is exactly where the money's going to come and exactly how much money we're going to put in. I think what we have come to this table, whether it's Norm, it's a, it's a bipartisan, united from the executive office, the governor, lieutenant governor, the Senate, the House, we all have said, this is a priority. Yes. And so we are now beginning uh, to come, we've just come back. Uh, we're now hearing more from the advocates, which as I think what uh, Tony said is so true, and, and, and Paul and I were talking about this the other night when we were there, uh, Chris. This is important. This is the momentum that, it's, that is needed for us to, as we're going to work, looking at all these things, Tony mentioned, every little pocket and every stream of money and what the projections are. We just heard revenue consensus at 2.7%. Now the governor's budget's gonna come out. We're starting this work. Our sleeves are just now rolled up and we hear them loud and clear and they've gotta stay loud so that we can continue to to push along. But this is a priority. I think everyone said it. And um, but we can't give the answers to exactly how much. Today. Also, on that discussion, if we have a discussion with the mayors of the cities of Gateway Cities or otherwise, or superintendents, it's important that transparency is on the table. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about the dollars that come in now. New Bedford this fiscal year receives 145 million dollars and some change. Do you know where it goes? How it's distributed? How is it allocated? How is it spent? I don't. Right. There's no transparency on that. So the con- need- accountability in terms of spending. Accountability, but transparency. I want to know how much. I mean, how much is out of those $145 million going actually to the classroom? Well, right. can't, can you build that into the law by by by, tell, by, well, by restricting how they can spend because it? Because you have to take into consideration, like, let's say, let's look at the health care, right? Uh, health care, the city provides health care and then charges back to the school department. Uh, 
And the, at least that's the way it's done in most cities, right? It is done the case of New Bedford. It's been, it's been years that actually the city has not spent what they charge the school department. Do they give it back to the school department? Or don't? That's the kind of transparency we need. You're saying that it's been years since the city been, gave... No, it's been some years, right? That actually the city has not spent as much as they have char- originally charged really? the school department. Yes. Yes. I think they do give. It, I think right. we've looked at that before. Um, well, yeah. I don't know how many times. I don't know the amounts of those times. That's the kind of transparency. I mean, I, yes. I'm fighting for my constituents. It's important that we all have transparency on the table. We already talked many, many, many moons ago, right? The state said we'll take care of the pension system for the teachers. That's a, uh, an expense that was taken away from the local community. Maybe is health care probably could be on the table on that? Is that a discussion? Nobody's discussing that. Uh, maybe instead of giving you more money for health care, maybe there's another way of addressing the health care. I mean, the state plan is not as lucrative as some of the city plans. I mean, the GIC plan, I think, is probably... Uh, not, not according to the New Bedford City Wait, Council. And the New Bedford Unions. What I'm saying is, <laughs> these are all... I'm not saying that I'm in favor of this versus that, but this, I'm talking, this is what I'm talking about, transparency. Mm-hmm. I mean, I want to know where my dollars are going. Those are all... And I think every citizen in New Bedford... Uh, or every resident, I should use the term resident, um, or any other city would like to know. Yeah. You know? I want like everybody at the table with this right. discussion of, right. you know, it's not a one-sided conversation. And, and, and that's, I think, all communities. I, I don't know, you know, years as town moderator, town meeting, uh, you know, in me being the, you know, doing, having to work extra hard to go between the school committee and the selectmen because throughout the process, neither one of them were willing to share information on either side uh, of the budget. Uh, to know how much they want and then you know and and uh, transparency accountability is important for everybody it's important it, it it's what the constituents need to see in order to feel comfortable with the spending that goes on and any budget in any municipality is is the, you know far and vast majority is is the schools so i think they do deserve as much accountability as much transparency i think that's a great word to use towards where that money is going so just, I'm just going to, for a second, give a little aside since we're on that topic. So we'd love to see where our legislators in the future, maybe a future conversation about the public records law. So mm. just, just throwing it out there. Well, it's, it's, a bad, it's an unfortunate day for you. <laughs> well, but, but, well, we can talk about that. I, mean, I have filed legislation on that, which was incorporated. My bill, my legislation was incorporated on the last we'll have you we guys back because I would love bill, to talk actually, about that. I filed the last session, I'm filing again this session around public records. But not to get off this, can I actually take it to Paul for one second? Because I think we, uh, you asked a, a related question last time. So I know you represent part of Fall River, so you have the city mindset. Yes. but And part of New Bedford. Right, and part of New Bedford. Yes. But going into this, what are your concerns for Westport? If giving this conversation, do you have concerns for Westport? Do you see any dangers for them in this conversation? Well, I would never let uh, Westport receive $1 less right. than it is currently getting. Okay, so you're not concerned? I want to see, uh, I want to see uh, unrestricted local aid and Chapter 70 money increased uh, for Westport. Okay. But I have a sense of priorities. Okay, okay. But, but, but that really is why the bill is so expensive, because everybody has to get something. Isn't it? And, and they should. And they should. We really appreciate, we, speaking as a gateway city uh, legislator, we really appreciate the support that we've gotten throughout this process 
uh, from our colleagues who represent suburban uh, towns, and we'll never forget that. Right. But we don't tax people in this country who are very poor because they just can't pay. And, and we don't say we're going to give money, well, I guess we do with some tax cuts, to, to the wealthy because, mm-hmm. you know, we, we want to help the poor. And it just seems like when you say, well, not to help the poor, we've got to give something to the wealthy. It's, I, I know that's politics, but it is an interesting argument. And, what, and I understand Wexport is not uniformly wealthy. Right. No. Well, Wexport, the gateway city, and, yeah. and those yeah. blue-collar, as you term them, suburban-type mm-hmm. communities, raising all these issues, it, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be this discussion today. This discussion didn't emanate necessarily from, and I don't mean to single anyone out, a Needham, a Dover, a, mm-hmm. a, a Concord, a, a Westford. That's not where this conversation came from. This came from... They're crying over the last few years of our educators saying, we can't do this. You gave us the testing, you, you, you know, we have these issues, and again, I, they're very real in the classroom. You know, no one can deny it. You know, we see it, we go visit our classrooms. These teachers are, are truly heroes every day, and, and, and Massachusetts is number one. You can't let go of that. As, you know, the other night you were at the at the forum, and, and you would think we were probably, you know, you know, wow, we're, you know, we really are number one, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts in education in the country. If it wasn't for communities that were represented there that night, and in every pocket where the gateway cities are with these problems. So, so yeah, no one wants to hurt Westport or or, 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 or these other communities, but we've got to be realistic here. We want everyone to succeed in Massachusetts. It's not happening. It's not happening. And, and every time I hear a report, I read a state house news or I see on the news, you know, Mass- you know, or someone sends us an email, congrats, you know, wow, let's let's bask in the fact that Massachusetts is once again at the top. And I go, yeah, right. I get a, my neighbor's a first grade teacher. Mm-hmm. You know, I hear her every day. I visit her classroom. I go, I go, but for. We gateway cities, and I'll use that general term, who are some have major problems, and we are left behind. Even though Fall River is a $145 million school budget, we give them 128, and it's still not enough. There was a time when we'd say, are you kidding me? You get almost 90%, you get 84% of the money. But once you see and, and watch and look, but I do agree with Tony, you know, with this will come account, you know, making sure that we have, triggers in place to, so we can see where that money is spent. It's just not a blank check. But I have to say I have faith in our educators because in spite of all that, yes. I look at the Durfee High School and even our friends across the way in New Bedford, um, the Whalers and the Hilltoppers, the Classic, they're graduating some incredible kids. And you know they've had all the supports along the way that the majority or a good, good percentage of those kids don't get. And that's what we have to shore up, and that's where these dollars are going to go. To aside from the healthcare dollars, and we already, you know, are, are working on that. That's where these dollars are going to go. I, and we've I, got I, to do something. We have to wrap up. But is there anything anybody wants to, you know, well, I just want to. I understand your your, yeah. your issue in terms of uh, the rich versus the poor, uh, but I think when it comes to certain issues like healthcare cost, Westport deserves to also see some some benefit of that because there is costs associated to health care and you know and there are a lot of hard-working families in Westport that are not considered rich per se uh, or in other communities I'm using Westport as, uh, as the community that discloses to us uh, that we have discussed there are I mean today we're talking about this we're talking about these four recommendations we're talking about the foundation 
recommendations in Chapter 70, but there are so many other issues that I think hopefully we can address and we can discuss because they are inter interrelated. Because if you look at the schools in the gateway cities that are doing, uh, that are doing, that are doing as well, they also in neighborhoods that are not doing as well. We got to talk about neighborhood stabilization, right? Right. Uh, and um, and doesn't matter how many uh, turnaround plans you have, once you address the issues in that neighborhood, because actually we have to look at the city as neighborhoods, or right. any city as neighborhoods, right? And uh, the failing schools are in certain neighborhoods. That's right. right. So we need to desperately look at, uh, and that's not just New Bedford; it's most of the gateway cities, right? Uh, be Worcester, for example. You go to some. Some neighborhoods in Worcester are doing very well, and their property values on that neighborhood is very high versus, and the same thing happens here. So there is a direct cor correlation as well with, with what's happening in, in those schools, in those children, in those neighborhoods. It's not just about Chapter 70. It's not just about uh, the foundation uh, formula. It's about really seriously having a serious discussion in this city and other cities such as ours what are we going to do about addressing uh, in certain neighborhoods and create some kind of a stabilization program for those neighborhoods and investing in those neighborhoods? Downtowns need investment, but neighborhoods need as well. Without healthy neighborhoods, you're not going to have a healthy downtown because you're not going to have anybody to walk in downtown, right? So, so we need to really look at this. I mean, go to any community you want. Underperforming schools, underperforming if I can use the same term for that neighborhood, right? That neighborhood is in, st in stress. Um, and that includes not only residents in that neighborhood, it includes small business. Go to the near north end, Jack. Right, we, we, Go to the near north end, what's happening to those small businesses on the avenue? The, they don't the, have um, money. The, One, the people, some of the people who live there cannot afford to walk in there to buy anything. Yeah, I think now Second, if you live, let's say where I live, or if you want to use my neighborhood, I don't see too many people from my neighborhood up in the north end shopping or otherwise because of whatever perception it is. So what I'm saying is it's important that we look at these neighborhoods and invest in these neighborhoods so folks can go to those neighborhoods and the people in the neighborhood can, because those small businesses are closing every day. Every day. You, you could argue that now you're into the issue of undocumented immigration and, no, 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 and all I'm kinds not. of things. No, I'm not. I'm not. That's yeah. not what I'm talking about. You are going there. <laughs> no, I'm, 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 I'm all, only in the sense not, uh, no, it, this no. paper has a very you know, progressive stance on, on immigration. I'm not going there because of that. I'm going there because you have a societal prob problem as a whole that affects largely cities. You know, so people come to work in, in fish houses or meatpacking plants in the Midwest, and it impacts those cities. So you have micro policy with how the city governs itself and the state governs itself, but in being impacted by the issues, you know, on the national scale. That's yeah, all. I'm many families who live in those neighborhoods that are yeah. not undocumented, are not recent immigrants per se, uh, and, and and recent immigrants have a lot of drive. They want to work. They want to work. Believe me. Um, what I'm saying is, is you need to have consistent investment in those neighborhoods, and we don't in many of these neighborhoods. And that will have an impact on the outcomes of that school in that neighborhood. The other thing we've got to look at, and we are going to look at it to Gateway Cities Legislative Caucus, and I, because I think all of this is interrelated. And, and thank you for your leadership. You know, is, is uh, let's look at the, any major investment that's been done, let's say in Gateway Cities alone. Which, what has been the biggest 
biggest investment in any neighborhood on any on any gateway city. A new school building, right? We just had right uh, Jacob School built and opened the, in the South End. We had over a hundred million dollars invested on Keith, and we still have properties right next to Keith that are that are have not been addressed in terms of in terms of remedial uh, because they are contaminated. And how is that impacting the houses next to those uh, parcels of land? Nothing has been addressed. So, so the, the impact of the value of those homes in those neighborhoods, not only are not going up, they're going down. And that impacts also how much you can tax, how much you're gonna get in, in property taxes, right? So I think we need to look at the school building authority and how they award money, and what else should happen in that neighborhood when that kind of investment takes place in that neighborhood. We want new schools to be built. I want everyone. I want, you know, Duval and I want Condon. I want all of these schools to be brand new schools. I was just, we've been looking for a new location uh, to a polling location in the south end uh, before we move a polling location there, right? Um, but what I'm saying is, is we talked about early this week, Paul, on, on, on the Gateway City stuff, is, is there something that should be changed or should be part of that investment in that neighborhood along with a new school building in that neighborhood. Maybe we should have um, uh, look at maybe a small healthcare center even in that school, right? He says some of these, some of this stuff is wrapped around services that some of these low-income students and low-income families need, right? So maybe, maybe capital dollars for that because the superintendent so yeah, that forum, right, several right, of those communities right. raised that exact right. yeah, wish. Capital yep. dollars for that. Uh, if the school building authority is going to come in, in our case now we are eighty percent. Would be better when we had if we had built them we were at ninety, but um, eighty percent uh, comes in. With that eighty percent, what other partners? What other areas should we address? in that neighborhood. And I'm talking about New Bedford. I'm sure you can go to Fall River. It's the same issue. If you go to Brockton, it's the same issue. Um, for example, where the Jacobs School is, what else has been changed in that neighborhood besides that school to help that neighborhood? To help those families. Right. Those I'm trying to understand. So you're saying that, that, that part, that school, of, the, part the of the school building investment should be other services to, to, to economically revitalize that neighborhood? I think when we go in and put in that kind of investment in the neighborhood, we should think about other things that can happen in that neighborhood at the same time as part of that investment. You get you get points when you build the school. You get points if you have a general contract. Right. You get points if you had a partnership with a healthcare. Right. You get additional points instead of eighty percent. You might get eighty four percent, but right. you, but you bring in collaboration and partnerships. Right. We need to uh, look health, at that. Healthcare in the schools. Again, you go back, I'm old, you go back in 94, 93, we had one nurse and that was all you needed, uh -huh. you know? You put band-aids on things. Kids today, their health issues are, are amazing. Um, Some schools don't even have a full-time nurse. Yeah. Jack, I'd, I'd like to make a point. Uh, we've been discussing uh, how to uh, improve our K through 12 education and, uh, how, and that, uh, taking care of two of the four elements uh, indicated by the uh, new found by the recommendation of the foundation budget folks would cost uh, 500 million uh, two of the four we've talked about the need to fully uh, fund the charter school reimbursement that's a that's another bucket of 
of investment that's needed. We've talked about the need for universal pre-K, absolutely, and full-time, full-day uh, kindergarten. You've got to have it. Uh, mothers work. They're not there at noon when, when a, a, a five-year-old comes home. That's another bucket. We haven't talked about how our higher education has gone, our public higher education has gone from being 80% funded by the state to being 20% funded by the state. And that's why kids graduate from UMass Dartmouth with an onerous uh, debt burden. The, these investments that we've talked about are gonna require significant new resources. And the discussion about where to find those resor new resources ought to be part of, well, of our discussion about education. I would, I would, I would uh, strongly suggest, Tony, um, that if you're pushing for transparency at the pre-K through 12, you definitely do it in the public higher education. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. not, enough said, but it's, it's uh, uh, I, yeah. There, there really isn't anybody talking about either new revenue sources or, um, I mean, Senator Montigny talked about cutting the capital uh, uh, tax breaks, uh, the corporate tax breaks, but or cutting state spending elsewhere, which also there are areas that have, such as transportation and, and health, that have big demands on them. So I don't know. I just don't hear that discussion anywhere in the state political uh, well, we need a lot of discussions. If you listen to the governor's inaugural speech, he talked about, again, investing on, in the T. Yeah. Did you see any discussion about South Coast Rail or even rail service to the west, western part of the state? That but he's also pledged not to raise any new revenue. So I, I'm just wondering where all this comes from. I know you're wondering, but you should ask him that. <laughs> <laughs> but what I'm saying is, is, again, there's a tremendous emphasis in Boston, the greater Boston area, and it's up to yes. us to fight. Yes. And we need your help. We, we need yes. the paper. So uh, Representative Strauss on Tuesday's thing talked about Boston, and yeah. he said that they actually have, oh, I'm going to get the numbers wrong, somebody correct me, but around 45,000 students, and their infrastructure is based on 90,000 students, right. and that that continues which was fascinating and discouraging at the same time. So, But the formulas have never been adjusted to, to, to their loss because Boston, you do have a lot of charter schools, you know, that has some popul population loss. And so you don't have this public school population that they used to have, and yet the formulas for reimbursement have never been adjusted. We got our work cut out. <laughs> And there's certainly a lot, well, obviously a lot of issues, you know, there's, there's bills out there to, to readjust the, the formula for the charter schools. But again, that's asking for 200 to 250 million additional um, revenue. So um, again, it goes back to prioritization. You know, do we want to prioritize the, the universal pre-K over, um, you know, the mitigating the fact that teachers have to buy their own ink? Um, you know, the, these are the, the discussions, like you mentioned, that we, uh, I'm, I'm glad to have and I'm glad we are having. Well, we look forward to how you're going to solve this. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and, and from my standpoint, I think it is, you know, the age-old saying, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Yes. From an engineering background, we don't build everything all at once, necessarily. Sometimes we have to build it 
one brick at a time. We can pay for so many bricks now. We get that in place. I think it's important. I think that's where you see the agreement. You see the enthusiasm is let's get some phases. There's plenty of stuff for us to debate. We wouldn't be full-time legislators if there wasn't plenty of other issues to debate. But let's take this time, take the focus, and let's get something done on this. I think you're absolutely right, but I will also quote you what a mother behind me in that forum said, is my kid is only in third grade once. That's right. Yeah. And that well, sort of adds to the pressure. Yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah. yeah. That's a great It's always fourth grade knowledge. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Th- thank you all for coming yeah. in. This has been great. I hope we can do it on other issues. I, I and love and, and um, yeah. it's yeah. been very helpful. Thank you for Tony for being so knowledgeable. You know, one thing, Jack, you have to say from last week to today, um, we do have one of the best legislative groups. I mean, I, I'm not blowing smoke at you. I mean, it's we like each other. I, yeah. yeah. I mean, okay. Okay. Say, the Citizen Advisory is not speaking for the entire no. <laughs> Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.